The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome to episode 141 of Cars and Culture on Sirius XM. It's good to have you back listening again. I'm your host, Jason Stein. In many circles, the America's Cup is the gold standard of endurance, athleticism, skill, planning, and sport. It is, after all, one of the longest running competitions in the world, and some say it is the longest if measuring pure competition. It demands the best out of its managers, sailors, and athletes. And what an interesting tie it has to the automotive sport and culture world. To the uninitiated, it is now using some of the same technology in many of the same places as Formula One, tapping into the drive to survive war rooms and expertise to drive results on the water. To Tucker Thompson, commentator, analyst, sailor, and car guy, it is everything. Tucker has been the voice of the America's Cup for a long period of time, and at this year's race in Barcelona, he'll be on hand to help host many of the on-site activities. He'll be right in the middle of the America's Cup action again. Today on Cars and Culture, he draws us into the culture of one of the world's greatest and most competitive sports, drawing a line between the passion and technology of automotive and the professionals in the water. Tucker has spent time in his own automotive exploits, having worked off-road sessions with Jaguar Land Rover. And he has a deep understanding of the ties to Red Bull and others in the Formula One world to racing. He is at home on the water, but he's still very much a car guy. On this week's show, we talk to Tucker about the significance of this year's America's Cup, the transfer of technology in sailing, and what winning means to America. It's Tucker Thompson's perspective on Cars and Culture. I am Tucker Thompson, and this is Cars and Culture with Jason Stein. An absolute first for us, um, not necessarily in the sense of, of, a, of a cultural icon, somebody who represents culture, but certainly on the sailing side. And for those of you who are counting down, we're about 180 to 190 days away from the 37th America's Cup. And I'm proud to have Tucker Thompson here as a guest on our program. Welcome in. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here on Cars and Culture. And I'm going to guess, let me know if I'm wrong, that I'm probably your first sailing guest. You're absolutely the first sailing guest. You may not be the last sailing guest, but you certainly are the first sailing guest. That depends on how this goes today, right? <laughs> it does. We talk about vessels uh, on a regular basis. We don't talk about ones that are in the water so much, but let's give a little bit of a background. Uh, just, just have you walk through some of your experiences. I know you have been in the America's Cup, um, and in fact, we we go back almost a quarter century to the the time that you were in the America's Cup. But most would know you from broadcasting. Then five times that you have been a part of the broadcasting team for the America's Cup. Tell yeah. me exactly what the America's Cup means to you, Tucker. Well, gosh, I mean, if if you are, let's say, an auto racing fan, this is the World Championship, the Formula One. You know, it's it's the NFL Super Bowl of the sport of sailing. So for me as a young sailor, making it to the America's Cup was always a dream. But I took it one step further. I always wanted to cover the America's Cup, whether that was live to the crowd or on the Internet or on television. I've, I've done all of it. Um, and as you mentioned, this will be my sixth America's Cup. What does it mean to me? It, it's it it's the pinnacle event of our sports, the highest level you can attain and to me, it's just a huge honor. I, I love it. I'm very passionate about it. 
it was America True that you were on in 2000 in New Zealand. Yeah. And how in the world did you get onto that boat? <laughs> Let, let's go through a little bit of your history. That's a really good question because there's, there's really no specific path directly to the America's Cup. It's a bit elusive. Um, you know, sailing is a sport that has many different forms of racing. And when I was a young kid, I got into pushing the boat faster and ultimately into, into racing small boats, which led to racing bigger boats. And of course, if you're a racing sailor, the pinnacle of, of the event in our sport, of course, is, is the Amer pinnacle event is the America's Cup. So I always had my, my sights set on, on reaching the highest level. Um, and so getting into it, really, America's Cup is a match racing event. So right out of college, I focused primarily on match racing, which is one boat against the other, where they tactically try to attack each other. It's a very exciting format of the sport. That's always been what the America's Cup, the premise of the America's Cup is. So from the match racing, I gained enough experience and also enough connections to get to know the people that were involved in the America's Cup, including Dawn Riley, who was our team principal in 2000 for America True. She's one of the greatest American sailors of all time, female, obviously, and she's done the round the world races and multiple America's Cups. So she reached out to me in 1999, end of 98, actually, to train with and be part of America True. That was a huge honor. What was that like for you? Honestly, everything that I loved about the sport of sailing and racing sailboats was put on steroids. The, the first moment I stepped on then what is called an IACC or International America's Cup class yacht, I mean, everything was bigger, faster, broader, grander. I, I was pitching myself. It was, uh, it was the first day of training in the Haraki Gulf in, in Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, it was a cold, windy day. I'll never forget it. And I just had goosebumps that, you know, that I was actually on an America's Cup boat. America's Cup boats are very similar to, you know, in, in terms of the the, the principles of, of sailing. It's the same as, as any other boat, just on a massive scale in, in every way. It was uh, exciting, hugely exciting. We talked, Tucker, about the Formula One similarities. You have some real world similarities between sailing and the racing world, particularly as it relates to Mercedes, right? Mercedes and also Red Bull, you know, in, in, in recent history, the America's Cup teams have been partnering directly with F1 teams. Uh, Mercedes is a partner with Ineos Britannia, the, the British team, and uh, Red Bull is, is uh, a partner with Alinghi Red Bull Racing. And, and I have learned quite a lot now getting into auto racing. I'm starting to see my own parallels with the America's Cup and with F1. Uh, we talked about how it attracts similar personalities, but from a design and a technology standpoint, it's fascinating. In fact, the Mercedes headquarters has a group of sailors inside that, that headquarters, inside the office there, um, that whenever the boat, the British boat goes training on the water in Spain, they plug into the boat real time and they are, they're, they're receiving real, uh, real time telemetry data off the, all the sensors on the boat. They are connected to the designers on the chase boat and the coaches and they're connected via headset comms directly to the sailors. So the sailors, if they're having an issue on the boat, very similar to, to Formula One, could say, hey, I'm, I'm having an issue with X, Y, Z. And those guys real time can, can analyze it, the data coming off the boat, isolate it, and then advise the sailors in real time what to do in order to solve the problem. It's kind of fascinating. A couple other similarities, you know, the, the paddock for Formula One where the boat and, and where, where the, I almost said boats, you know, when the cars come in for, to, for a pit stop and you have all those people focused on what's going on, on for the, uh, in the car. Uh, in sailing, it's the same way. We call it the chase boat. And while they don't come off the race course, 
to 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 work on the the, uh, the the sailboat. But when they come off the water each day after the racing, they go into a shed that is similar to the paddock, and the boat's plugged into all the sensors and stuff. And the chase boat on the water has got the the coach and the designers and all the people. So if there are issues between races, they can remode the boat, they can tweak some of the fairings, they can change sails, and just like cars change tires. There's a from a technology standpoint, from a communication standpoint, and 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 a lot of how they how the Formula One operates from a, from a design and, and and I guess computer interaction simulators as well. All that you see going into making a faster car, you have the same going on in making a faster boat in the America's Cup. Who would know that the technology would be as wild as it is right now? It's 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 great. It's it's exciting to see, particularly if you're a fan of both uh, auto racing and and sailboat racing. There are many comparisons that some have made. You and I talked a little bit about this off the air, but the comparisons to and the parallels to sport um, and and, uh, sailing and auto racing and cars in general. And in fact, you just referenced it a moment ago, the parallels to F1 teams, how the teams are structured and run, the huge emphasis on technology and innovation, the budgets, the types of people who attract who are attracted to these venues all over the world. Give me a little bit of color on that. Well, you know, obviously we're talking about vehicle dependent sports and these are the pinnacle of, of those competitions, whether it's auto racing, F1 is, is the highest level you can achieve. And in sailing, it's the America's cup, but in, in modern America's cup times, there have been not only similarities to F1 teams, but actually partnerships with F1 teams. And, and a little side note, Jason, I, um, I'm very new to auto racing and I started watching Drive to Survive. I, you know, I didn't know I was going to be interested in it and I couldn't stop watching. I've watched every single episode. Now I'm a big F1 fan and I've been promoting the America's Cup saying that there are lots of similarities with F- F1 without really understanding it until now. Now I'm watching the racing. I'm understanding how the game works and how they design the cars and how they push you know, the envelope. And it's, it is very similar to, uh, to, to the America's Cup in many different ways. You mentioned personalities, which I think right off the top is, is a great similarity. You're talking about a, uh, a two sports that attract the most elite people on earth, the wealthiest, the most driven, the most successful. These are people that can achieve or in some cases purchase anything they want on earth and yet winning in these respective competitions remains out of their grasp. It, it, it's, it's why I think it attracts the, you know, the, the absolute elite because they can pretty much get anything else they want. And I'm speaking primarily of the America's Cup. I personally think, with no offense to F1, it's, it's possibly the hardest trophy of any sport in the world to win. And one of the biggest reasons, which is a difference from, from auto racing, is that the previous winner of the America's Cup sets the rules. So they can stack the deck in their favor. That's why it's so hard to beat what is called the defender, the, the you know the holder of the America's Cup. They they uh, f- set the the permutations and parameters around the race, the rules, and uh, more particularly the design of the type of boat they're going to use. And because they set the design rules, they've already got a huge advantage on the other teams who then have to interpret those rules and build the you know the fastest competition or, or boat for the competition. America's Cup is first and foremost a design competition, unlike any other sailing event where it comes down to the skill of the sailor. Yes, you have to have the most skilled, the best sailors uh, on the planet in the America's Cup, but 
since 1851, when it started, it was always the nation that showed up with the fastest boat that they could design and build and beat the other team. So it's the fastest boat that always wins. There's a huge amount of emphasis in design, and it's the same in, in Formula One. What, what I've been watching uh, of the Formula One competition, just the tiniest details can make tenths of a, of a difference, fractions of a difference that ultimately translate into, into more speed. And that's the name of the game. And Tucker, some might not know that it is the oldest international competition still operating in any sport. Yes, the America's Cup is 173 years old. It's not the oldest trophy that was ever made for sports, but it's the oldest trophy that is still being continuously contested for today. It's, um, you know, people often ask, what's the America's Cup worth? It, it is entirely priceless. You know, you, you think of things like the Stanley Cup or the Claret Jug, I mean, the America's Cup is, you could never put a price tag on it. And, and uh, what's fascinating about it is America, the New York Yacht Club particularly, won it, the first competition against the British, then the maritime superpower in 1851. This fledgling uh, uh, country showed up with a boat that was faster and a sailing crew that was better than 15 other British yachts, basically embarrassed them. And then continued to defend or win the America's Cup for 132 years. It's the longest winning streak in, in any sport. Yeah, on earth what you look at it, it really attracts the world's top sailors yacht designers wealthy entrepreneurs sponsors you mentioned it a moment ago red bull racing has been a part of the america's cup as has Ineos. and in fact we had lynn calder on this on this program back at the formula one race in november in uh, las vegas roger penske has been involved in this it really attracts the best and the brightest in this test of sailing skill, boat and sailing design, fundraising, management, and it's expensive, right, Tucker? It is. It is. I mean, if you, what's the old saying? If you have to ask, you, you, you can't afford it, right? There are hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of millions of dollars spent per team. Uh, and that also is an analogy to, to Formula One. I think possibly, you know, equestrian, the horse racing is one of the only other sports on earth that probably comes close. And as you probably well can guess, the team that that puts the most into and and not just with talent and and, and technology, but funding uh, tends to come out on top. Not always. It's also how you spend the money. And, and, and but at the end of the day, you know, and there are caps in spending. They try to do that just like they do in, in auto racing. But if you look back in the history of the America's Cup, it has always been the biggest titans of industry and business around the world that are attracted to this. And they put boats on the water that you know, the average person couldn't come close to affording. Um, someone did a study once that over $14 billion have been spent losing the America's Cup. <laughs> you know, Sir Thomas Lipton, for example, he, he competed five different times against the New York Yacht Club. He lost all five times. But because of that, he was able to launch Lipton Tea in the United States. So that was a big success. That was the first official sponsorship, sports sponsorship. And that's continued to this day as well. You're in an industry, sailing, that has been around for, quite frankly, thousands of years. And yet, at the turn of the century preceding this last click of the century clock, it was the most prolific source of trans-oceanic crossings. Now, other modes of transportation have usurped sailing in terms of comfort and ease, speed, accessibility to the masses. But why the attraction to sailing? Does the fact that, and by the way, related to that, Tucker, does the fact that sailing has not gone extinct bode well for automotive transportation in our future? I suppose you, you could say yes. The bad news for sailing is that automotive transportation and 
engine-based transportation in general has eclipsed sailing. Uh, as you mentioned, it's no longer a form of of, uh, of transport, but it, it still is a you know it still is a, a pastime. Um, but yeah, it does bode well for auto racing. It, I think auto racing has already eclipsed uh, eclipsed sailing. You know, let's put it this way: in New York, in the in the mid to late eighteen hundreds, the America's Cup was the biggest sporting event anywhere in the United States for people to see, which is which is kind of hard to imagine because today very few people would watch sailboat racing. But in New York, and, and in in those days hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people would line the shoreline and go out on spectator vessels. I mean, there were hundreds and hundreds of boats that sometimes even got in the way. It was huge back then. Um, but it's a sign of the times, you know, uh, engines took over boats on the water and, and obviously uh, auto racing took over, I guess, um, slower means of racing uh, on land, so to speak. But what I like about uh, auto racing and why I think it's so popular around the world is that anyone can relate to a steering wheel and four wheels and the pedals. So you don't have to be a professional racing driver to understand what those guys are going through. Uh, and that's one difference with the America's Cup. Previously, if you had a couple sails and a mast and a boat that floated, technically you could do the same thing that the America's Cup sailors do. Uh, that game changed in 2013 when the boats started hydrofoiling. So now you have boats that were doing 12 knots, 15 knots. So that's, you know, pushing barely 15 miles an hour, maybe 20 at best. When they started levitating or lifting above the water on skis or hydrofoils, the speed curve went straight up. We have boats that used to do 15 knots are now doing over 50 knots uh, and pushing the 60 knot barrier. So you know, that's well over 65 miles an hour on a boat, which compared to a, 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 you know, a race car, 65 miles an hour is not that fast. But if you're on a 75-foot carbon fiber racing yacht with a huge mast and eight guys on board, six feet above the water, 60 miles an hour is insane for a wind-powered craft. It's, it's, it, we're, we're in an area now that even the top sailors in the world have, have never experienced. They're, they're truly pushing the envelope of, of what's possible in the sport. One of the so-called selling points for automakers to participate in racing is the transfer of technology from the racetrack to the production car. We see that happen all the time. Is that also true for America's Cup racing? And if so, what kinds of technologies have transferred? How can it benefit humanity? It's a great question. Historically, the uh, I guess the top level of any sport is going to have a trickle down uh, because they're testing new things in, in, a, in an environment that can you know, that can facilitate that both financially and physically. America's Cup is no different. Um, a lot of the racing technology and just sailing technology in boats in general, uh, it started with the America's Cup and trickled down. The best example of that was 1983. I mentioned the winning streak for the New York Yacht Club America's Cup, or the, in, in the America's Cup with New York Yacht Club. The reason they were so hard to beat, you know, is because they always put the fastest boats on the water. In 1983, the Australians came up with such a radical design. They, they looked at it this way. They could, back then they were racing 12 meters. They said, oh, well, we can, we can put a fast 12 meter on the water that's similar to all the others, or we can roll the dice and go in a design direction that no one has gone in. Huge gamble. The point, their, 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 their you know, sort of summation was, hey, if it doesn't work, we're no farther behind because we're not beating the Americans. But if it does work, it'll change history. And it did. They had the famous wing keel. Effectively, they turned the, the, you know, the bulb, the big heavy lead bulb on the bottom they turned it upside down and put wings coming out of it on the bottom of the keel, which no one had ever done before. It was a huge secret. They had skirts around the boat when they hauled it out of the water. No one on earth was allowed to see what was in there until the day they beat the New York Yacht Club. And then they hoisted the boat up 
took the skirts away for all the media to see, and there was the famous wing keel. Now you look at every cruising boat uh, in the in the Caribbean. You go down and charter a, a monohull a cruising boat, and it's got a wing keel on the bottom of it. Um, you know that type. So that's just one example. I will say though that the time it takes for the technology to trickle down today is going to be a lot longer than it used to be. And I'm speaking specifically of foiling. Foiling is such an outlier in the sport of sailing now. I don't think you're going to see direct trickle down to, let's say, the everyday sailboat uh, for, for decades to come. But someday, someday, perhaps when, when my grandkids are learning to sail, they might be, they might be levitating above the water on foils. We'll, we'll have to see. Amazing. Amazing in many ways. There was a, a well-known... Um, there have been car enthusiast competitors who also raced at Le Mans, Briggs. Um, let me start that question again. Sorry. There was a well-known car enthusiast competitor who also raced at Le Mans, Briggs Cunningham. He was considered a gentleman racer, uh, a wealthy sportsman. The days of privateer owners being successful in motorsports have taken a backseat to high dollar professional racing. Is that the case for sailing? 100%. It, it, it's, it's the same. And, and you yeah. know, your last question related to trickle down, it's interesting you mentioned Briggs Cunningham, who was also into auto racing. He invented a technology on boats called the Cunningham, which is a sail control. And now there's every single sailboat on the earth has a Cunningham. So that, that, that feeds to your last question of, of, of the transfer of technology. When we think about uh, sailing as, as being somewhat of a lonely sport, particularly the long distance solo events, can you talk about some of the individual challenges that are out there in the sailing world? The, those who want to sail the world um, in in X number of days or or doing it all by themselves. Uh, it's very different than the America's Cup, but there is a passion behind that and there's a culture behind it. Right, Tucker? Not only that, I would suggest there's also a something slightly off mentally for people that <laughs> get on a boat. And look, I love sailing, but to get on a boat alone and go all the way around the world nonstop, that is a level that no matter how much I love sailing, I don't think you could pay me enough to, to do. And, and I have the utmost respect for the adventure seekers that are out there. Um, you know, sailing started with going around the world. You look at Magellan, you know, people like that and Sir Francis Drake. So pushing the envelope in the ocean is not unheard of historically but to do it alone that that's that's uh well i was going to say crazy but that would be too disrespectful it's an, it's it's incredible actually it's an, it's an acquired habit right <laughs> but it, what but the, what your question points out is that there are many different facets to our sport you know there's offshore ocean racing there's inshore dinghy racing there are small boats there are big boats there are boats that go slow fast there's different types of racing team racing match racing uh, fleet racing so there's, the sport offers a whole lot more, I think, than than people realize, uh, and I'm sure auto racing does too, right? There's all different levels. Sure, of course. Yeah, from the junior level right on up to the to the top. What do companies get out of the sponsorship and the competing? Well, you know, there's obviously the exposure in sponsorship in any sport. They're looking to get their brand out there and and connect it at the highest level, which the America's Cup obviously is. But I would argue that, you know, and, and it's it's no secret, you're not going to get the same eyeballs in a sailing race that you're going to get in Formula One or uh, any other major sport, I guess. Uh, a lot of the other, you know, football, soccer, you know, those. But what I think America sets the America's Cup apart is is the lifestyle. You know, the sponsors and the, and the investors and the people that sailing attracts, it, it is a lifestyle and a passion that you know, I can't compare it to other sports because I haven't done those other sports. I can 
just personally, selfishly tell you, it's the greatest lifestyle, I think, on earth. You know, what's not to like when you're going to the most beautiful places on earth with some of the greatest people, you're pushing exciting boats to levels that most have never seen. Um, the only difference to, compared to ocean racing that you, you mentioned earlier is you get to come back to the dock and go to a party that night, a cocktail party, rather than uh, stay out and, and get beat up in the ocean. Uh, ocean racing is not for me anymore, I, I must say, but, but uh, from a spectator standpoint, the America's Cup is, is kind of similar to, to auto racing as well. You know, it, 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 the excitement, is, they, they now have brought the racing from the ocean inshore in front of the fans. I think that's a huge step for our sport, similar to F1. You can buy a ticket, and in many cases, it's free to go watch sailboat racing with live commentary, people like me, for example. And then, uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a exotic lifestyle that attracts people to it, including sponsors. And to me, I think that's that's one of the greatest parts of our sport. And what's the culture? If you can summarize the culture, this is cars and culture. What's sailing and culture? How would you describe that? If you were going to commentate on a program that tried to encapsulate the culture of the America's Cup, what would you say? Culture of the America's Cup. Well, you start with the sport in general. You've got people that are that are attracted to freedom and independence and excitement and adventure. Uh, then you throw the America's Cup in there, which is the pinnacle uh, event in our sport. So you've got extreme competitors, people who like to push the envelope farther than it's been pushed ever before. You're, attract, you know, you're attracting people that... Uh, aren't afraid of, of that level of intensity, let's say, you know, auto racing is, is dangerous. So is sailing, you know, there's an allure out there that, that um, can sometimes be life-threatening. Uh, it is an auto racing and sadly it has been in some of the, some of the America's cup training uh, accidents that have occurred, but you've got people, a, a culture of people that aren't afraid to push things farther than they've, they, they've ever been seen. And, and, and that really not only defines the culture, but it, it attracts a, you know, it attracts the highest level of competitor. It attracts the highest level of fan. If you're a sailing fan, there's nothing bigger than, than the America's Cup. And I can tell you also, from a lifestyle standpoint, it, it is, it's beautiful, it's passionate, it's fun. Um, and I'd invite anybody who's, a, who's an auto racing fan to come to the America's Cup in Barcelona next year, beginning in August, to see what sailing's all about. I think that not only will you see the similarities, but I think you've got similar cultures, you know, types of people that are attracted to um to, uh, you know, almost an untouchable lifestyle that is exotically um, alluring. You have been uh, also immersed in a different type of culture. One is the Land Rover culture, <laughs> interestingly. And not surprisingly, the Land Rover culture at off-road events is quite similar to the types of people that you've been talking about with regards to sailing regattas. And uh, tell me a little bit about your, your own automotive experience. It's funny because, uh, you know, it's... They're so different. I come from the competitive sailing world and I got into Land Rovers, which to be fair, probably the opposite end of the spectrum compared to auto racing. Uh, going, going five miles an hour on a, on a mountain trail is, 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 you know, is the goal and the excitement. Uh, but it, from a, you mentioned culture earlier. It's a similar culture. It attracts a similar type of person that likes to push the envelope in terms of adventure and get out you know, beyond the horizon in the case of sailing or, or in the case of uh, Land Rovers, you know, you're, you're out in a place where vehicles, I guess, aren't normally seen and you're hundred percent vehicle dependent. When you're on a boat, it's just you in the boat. If something goes wrong, you don't have a lifeline. You've got to figure it out. And it's the same when you're, you know, 
20 miles away from the nearest, uh, you know, in the middle of the woods. I've been in the Canadian wilderness doing a Land Rover expedition uh, with eight other eight other vehicles. And, and I, I was actually filming it at the time, which was kind of cool. And I interviewed this British gentleman and he said, we are in an, an area where if something goes wrong that we can't fix on our own, only a helicopter is going to get you out. And that might sound crazy to some, but to me, that was <laughs> that, that was exciting. So I've got a Land Rover now that's, you know, got all the toys and tricks on it that, that you could use in the in the Canadian wilderness, wilderness, which is where we are. And sadly, I'm stuck in Florida, so I won't be able to, to, to use all of that much to my wife's pleasure because uh, she doesn't like me, let's just say, pushing the envelope in our in a daily driver. But I, I do love I do love those, uh, you know, that, that type of, of uh, you know, off road trail running. I, I take my kids. To me, that's also a lot of fun. After the break, I'll continue my conversation with ESPN host, sailing expert, and influencer, Tucker Thompson. To see my interview with Tucker, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel. You can like and subscribe to see more than 135 interviews and more than 1,200 videos. The automobile is one of the most important inventions that revolutionized the modern world in America. The rich history of car culture runs deep as technology continues to shape the future of the industry. Jason Stein is here to share the stories of people passionate about cars, from industry leaders and innovators to car-obsessed celebrities. Buckle up as Jason takes you inside the boardroom, onto the track, and around the bend on Cars and Culture on Sirius XM Business Radio. Welcome back to Cars and Culture. I'm Jason Stein. Now the continuation of my conversation with ESPN host, sailing expert, and influencer, Tucker Thompson. To watch my interview with Tucker, go to the Carson Culture YouTube channel. Like and subscribe to see more than 135 interviews and more than 1,200 videos. What do you have to teach prospective customers or off-road uh, customers about off-roading? What's the biggest challenge? Well, considering that we're talking about racing in automobiles or boats with uh, driving off-road is completely the opposite. In fact, the saying is as, as slow as possible, as fast as necessary. And considering the cost of some of these Land Rovers, that's probably a pretty good advice as well. You don't want to break things and, and beat things up. The goal is to get from point A to point B in an environment where most people wouldn't take a vehicle. So you've got to have a certain level of, of skill and understanding and, and you know, uh, patience. Uh, to pull that off. But when you get there, just like sailing, you're, you're in an environment that a lot of people might not ever see. It's uh, it's alluring. You always been a car guy, Tucker? No, I haven't. And when, when you asked me to do this interview, it came at an interesting time. I mentioned that I just got into auto racing uh, and I very much like Land Rovers. I'll back up for a second. I, I, I sort of, I don't dabble, right? So when I got into sailing, I loved it. I wanted to go all the way to the America's Cup. When I got into Land Rovers, I loved it. I wanted to go all the way to expeditions and training people and, on how to do it. Um, and and it, it's the same for me with, with Formula One. I've, I've, I've never had an interest in auto racing. I watched it on television and, and saw the documentary. And now all of a sudden, I'm taking my son to the, to the uh, Miami Grand Prix in May here, here in Florida, and I'm totally addicted. So I've, I've gone from, you know, from zero to redline. <laughs> We're on the business channel on Sirius XM and you have started, you're, you're, and you, you are your own entrepreneur. You and your wife have started a high-end apparel company. You're providing custom products to private yacht clubs and uh, also trying to find a way to work into the automotive world. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, I appreciate you, you mentioning that. Uh, I didn't know you were going to, but uh, yes, I've, I've always followed my passion and, and that led me to covering the sport of sailing. Covering the sport of sailing led me to giving talks at yacht clubs all over the country. I've done hundreds and hundreds of them. 
And that led me to study the products that yacht clubs were selling and offering their members, the merchandise, apparel and accessories. Um, without being rude, I won't mention the things that, that didn't work, but I would watch my wife on vacation and look at what she would buy in a resort town in a store when she goes shopping. And I thought if we could, well, we thought I should say, if we could take those products, you know, the really high end, nice quality apparel products that, that, that you want to buy and offer them to, to the club stores, not just yacht clubs, but now country clubs, golf clubs, and uh, you know, other, other sort of clubs involved around sports, um, the merchandise, if we could, if we could raise the level and the quality and make it, make it also custom, everything you see in a yacht club store just has a, you know, embroidery uh, from someone else's brand. What we do, we don't, offer our brand, just backstory. We now design apparel, we design accessories, we design all types of things that you'd see in a retail store, but we put it in private clubs. The difference is instead of offering you our products, we design each product with the uh, the client, the Yacht Club merchandiser, so that it is custom to their club and their membership. And that's that's what makes it unique and fun. So when you buy one of our shirts, you're, you're not buying our shirt, right? you're buying the club's specific uh, uh, shirt. And what have you learned in this adventure of creating range and bearings? People are passionate. People are proud of their passions, you know? And so uh, when we put the Burgi, which is the emblem or logo of a yacht club, on a piece of clothing that looks really nice, people want to buy it compared to it, the same item of clothing that doesn't have their yacht club Burgi on it because they're, they're proud that they're a member. They've obviously invested a lot, both not just financially, but personally and emotionally. And, uh, and, and they're proud to, to display that. So we, we sort of, we uh, offer people to celebrate their passions through apparel and accessories. When we talk about broadcasting, you know, it's interesting. You've done, you've hosted over 2000 sailing shows and presentations from the, uh, the sports top global events, including those five America's Cups that I mentioned, plus the Volvo Ocean Race, the World Match Racing Tour. What's the business of broadcasting been like and how's it changing? Well, you know, sailing, two things. Sailing actually was the very first photograph that Thomas Edison ever took. So covering the sport of sailing goes back and predates coverage of, of any other sport, which is interesting. But uh, as far as the broadcast, you know, sailing is very hard to put on television. It's not, you don't just have a, a track or a, or a field where you can position stationary cameras and film the sport. You've got to go out, used, used to be, you'd have to go out in the middle of the ocean and then chase boats around on with, with cameras and helicopters ESPN was the first to put sailing live on television uh, in 1987 in Australia when Dennis Conner was attempting successfully to win the America's Cup back after that loss for, by the New York Yacht Club in 1983. And it was the first time that any coverage of sailing had onboard cameras live. People were staying up till two or three in the morning to watch live coverage and, and they were brought on board. Uh, that's one of the biggest evolutions is that now you're, you're seeing what the sailors are doing. You're watching what goes on, the drama on the boat, and you're listening to, to what they're saying real time. That's normal in sports coverage today, but in sailing in the 80s, that was unheard of. Uh, so that, that has evolved a great deal. And for me personally, as a commentator, what I like to do is, is translate the emotion and the excitement of sailing to the viewer. You don't have to understand the rules and the nuances and the tactics of what's going on. In some cases, you can't even tell who's out in front when, they, when the boats split apart. But you can understand doing things right, doing things wrong, who's ahead, who's behind, and the drama of competition. So to me, it's the excitement of, of sailing that I try to translate on, on the screen. 
Well, now, like Drive to Survive, I mean, the America's Cup's producing a similar documentary-style series that is going to be produced by Jimmy Chin. Tell me a little bit about that program. I'm very excited to see it, and I honestly don't know much about it either, except that I can say it's long overdue. What, what convinced me about the Drive to Survive documentary that Netflix put on was that they, they were able to create the backstory, the story that you don't see on the racetrack. And sailing has so much behind it that goes into the drama of just getting a boat on the race course, let alone the actual competition. When you understand, as any major sports fan does, who the players are, what their personalities and their background and their history are, and you know why the sport attracts these different people and what it takes to compete and the stress and the drama, the human element behind it. Drive to Survive was able to, to bring someone like me who didn't know anything about auto racing and turn me into a fan because I now understand the backstory. And I'm certainly hopeful that, 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 that this will do the same for the America's Cup and for sailing in general. I think it's long overdue. Let's hope it doesn't turn into uh, uh, versions of a of below deck bill, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you know, in some cases that might have higher ratings. I don't know. It depends on what people <laughs> like. But I, I think you're absolutely right there. Yes. So when you are on your nationwide yacht club speaking tour, what do you talk about? Well, I, I again, just like the, my commentary, I try to share my passion uh, for sailing and, and through the America's Cup. Uh, and, and I talk to audiences all over the country that, are also passionate about sailing. So it's a bit of a layup in that regard because I'm not reaching the, the, the fan that doesn't know the sport. But there are, just like Drive to Survive for Formula One, there are a lot of behind the story, you know, sort of elements to the America's Cup that I translate with my experience covering it over the past two decades to the people at these yacht clubs. And, and what, what I really enjoy most about doing that is I get to see the audience's reaction and their excitement, where when you do television commentary, you know, you, you know this, you don't get to see how you're doing or whether what you're saying in, in invokes a response and, and, and gets people enthused and engaged. I guess the, the numbers would do that. But to see the excitement on people's faces and, and to have them say, you know what, I didn't know much about the America's Cup before you came in, but now I'm buying a ticket to Barcelona. We want to go see this thing. That, and I've seen lots of people have that change. That, that to me is, is, is the most rewarding to, to, to take my passion and, and give it to other people and see them get enthused about it. So if you were going to have a talk that uh, explained the process of forming a racing syndicate to compete in the America's Cup, what would you say? You need a whole, a big checkbook. You <laughs> <laughs> compete in lots the America's Lots of zeros, Tucker. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you mentioned, oh, zeros. I, I thought you said heroes. And, and well, honestly, heroes I, and zeros. <laughs> I will say this. I mentioned earlier in, in this interview that the America's Cup was once the biggest sporting competition in, in the United States and everybody watched it. Um, today, you know, that it, 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 it's not that way. But I think the biggest way to get more people involved in America in sailing and, and to grow the sport bigger than where it is now is to have more American sailing heroes um, uh, winning in the sport. And that's where I hope the current American team, which is New York Yacht Club's American Magic, becomes successful because we will then, we have not had an all-American uh, team bringing the, the America's Cup back to the East Coast, back to the New York Yacht Club, back to where it all started since that loss in 19, uh, 1983. Uh, 1980 was the last time the New York Yacht Club won. So it's, it's over 40 years. And I often imagine what it would be like if they could bring that cup back and put it right back where it, where it was for 132 years at the New York Yacht Club. That would inspire the next generation of kids to get involved in sailing and to see it 
in, in you know live in front of them here in, here in America, and I think it would really help help grow the sport. Same similar to bringing Formula One to, to the U.S., which we now have here here in Miami, which is great. So I don't have to buy a plane ticket and go to to Europe to see it. And in fact, the New York Yacht Club has won twenty five titles, the most titles in the sport's history. What's happened to the American side? Well, in a weird way, the the the, the American. Uh, the American teams in the America's Cup, then represented by the New York Yacht Club, are a victim of their their own success because because the America's Cup grew and became bigger and bigger and attracted more countries uh, and and ultimately better sailors and better technology. Um, it was only a matter of time before they lost, and they did to the Australians in 1983, and that opened the event up to the rest of the world. So in a way, it was great for the America's Cup, perhaps not so great for the New York Yacht Club. So as the America's Cup has grown, um, more countries like New Zealand have, have gotten involved. And the Kiwis now are what the New York Yacht Club was in the in the late 18 and, and throughout the 1900s, um, the best sailing team in the world. They are the hardest to beat. They are the current defender of the America's Cup. They are who New York Yacht Club is trying to beat in order to win it back and, and bring it back to America. And I would imagine uh, any, like anything, you you referenced this earlier, victories get people interested. And if the New York Yacht Club has not been successful of late, people people's attention level falls off. But maybe a behind the scenes drive to survive program will get folks interested. Maybe some other um, victories in the future would get people interested. I mean, a, a charismatic fellow like Dennis Connor got people interested when I was a kid. Uh, this is what I knew. Uh, Stars and Stripes was was what I paid attention to. I mean, that uh, winning solves all issues, doesn't it? Yeah. And well, particularly that story, because after that winning streak was broken, you know, he went and, and brought it back you know, against all odds, sort of a David and Goliath story. And, and uh, there isn't a person out there that hasn't at least heard when you mentioned America's Cup. People who don't know a lot about sailing will say, oh, yeah, Dennis Connor, Australia. They still know it today. Um, that was the ultimate comeback story. And I, I think we need to repeat it this time in Barcelona. So what will happen in Barcelona? Give me your put your commentator hat on. I know you won't be commentating there because the Kiwis own the cup. So they kind of control things. You'll be in the hospitality club, though, for those who are going. <laughs> but <laughs> put your commentator hat on. What does America need to do? this fall in order to, uh, well, this summer, August 24th, in order to get it right? Well, I mentioned at the top of your show that I think the America's Cup trophy is the hardest trophy in sports to win because primarily the defender, who are the New Zealanders, have written the rules and, and effectively own the, the event until, until they're, they're beaten, until they're overturned. Uh, so you've got five other nations, including America, that are trying to beat the Kiwis. The problem is, in addition to them writing the rules and, and, and the design parameters for the competition, which gives them an edge, the Kiwis right now are the best sailors in the world. And the reason is, I think, it's a cultural problem. Beyond having the great sailors and great designers and fast boats, you've got an entire nation that has grown up. Uh, watching sailing and idolizing the top sailors. It's sort of like NFL football here in America is what sailing is in New Zealand. There's no other nation that is, is so passionate. And so everyone learns to sail. Everyone's behind sailing. When I first went to New Zealand, I, I took a cab from the airport to, uh, to Auckland and the cab driver, middle of the country, knew all the sailors. He knew the teams. He knew who was competing in the America's Cup. You know, so, so when you've got an entire culture in a nation, 
uh, behind a sport. And then you've got America, which, which to be fair, we don't have a, a big sailing culture um, or, or a lot of the other nations for that matter. It just makes them so incredibly hard to beat. You don't just have to beat a few Kiwis on a boat. You've got to beat the whole nation. Uh, the cynical question uh, would be, why should people care about an event that's for the playground to the super wealthy? I, I don't think people should look at the America's Cup negatively because it attracts the super wealthy. I think at the top level of any sport, you're going to see those type of people. Uh, but what I think makes it attractive not only to the super wealthy, but to everyone else, is that they're at a level that is unattainable to anyone else. That's what the greatest uh, you know, level of any sport is. That's why you go watch Wimbledon. It's why you go. It's why the price of the tickets for the NFL Super Bowl next weekend are so. You know, it's it's the unattainable. It's the highest level. It's it's why they watch the gladiators in Rome in the Colosseum. Um, so yeah, you don't have to like the people behind it. You don't have to have the same level of income, but it's pretty easy to respect and get excited for it. And the America's cup is no different than the highest level of any other sport. It's, it is, it is exciting. And it's, uh, it's the pinnacle of, of, of the event and what it takes to win is as hard as, as any other sport. If you were to get onto the America's cup, uh, the New York Yacht Club boat today, how would it differ from what you stepped on? in 2000 with America True? Well, the, the biggest thing is these boats, this, the boats that I sailed on would go 12 to 15 knots. You know, we thought going upwind at 12 knots was exciting. That's a little over, what, 14, 15 miles an hour. That's That back then was, was amazing. Now they're doing 50 to 60 miles an hour and they're flying above the water on, on, you know, on hydrofoils that are on the razor edge of wiping out. In fact, the last uh, uh, American Magic team and the last America's Cup wiped out so dramatically, they broke the boat and couldn't continue the rest of the competition. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, one little maneuver. So the danger element, or the guys on board would probably say the excitement element, is at a level now that I can tell you in, in, in my, I won't tell you how old I am, but let's just say in my experience, they're so beyond anything I can relate to. I think I would, I think I would need another pair of pants after I came off a boat like that. <laughs> Having said that, if you gave me the chance, and I've never been on the current America's Cup boats, uh, I've had the opportunity and the weather wasn't right or for one reason or another, I would jump at the chance to, to, to do something that most people on earth, even most sailors on earth, have, have never done. Um, it is, it's slightly crazy. It's hair raising. It's exciting. And uh, yeah, I would do it uh, right this minute if I could. If the New York Yacht Club beats the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron, in August, we'll see you back commentating again, won't we? We hope. I certainly hope so. I, I you know, whether or not I work with the the current America's Cup team, American Magic, um, I used to. I'm not right now, but that doesn't mean that that I'm not vehemently promoting and and uh, you know, my excitement for this team, my passion for the America's Cup, and my hope, uh, as as all American sailors do, that that team, New York Yacht America's. American Magic is successful in bringing the cup back home. So if they are, I would be honored to be involved, but you know, we'll have to see. You'll be in Miami for the race, the Formula One race, the third iteration of the Formula One Grand Prix. We just had Tyler Epp on the program, the president of the race, and we've had Tom Garfinkel as well. What are you looking forward to in the Miami Formula One race? And by the way, who are you supporting? Are you supporting today's Mercedes driver or tomorrow's Ferrari driver? Uh, well, the first question is, if you have any access on, on how to get some VIP behind the scenes, <laughs> Formula One, I mean, who doesn't want that, right? Now that I've seen Drive to Survive, I'm spoiled. But as a parent, my 15-year-old son, Philip, is huge into F1. He likes Lando Norris. 
I, I'm a traditionalist. I, I, I like Ferrari, if for no other reason than, than they've got the history, you know, and, and there isn't, you know, a, a car fan out there that doesn't know Ferrari. Um, and they just got rid of Carlos Sainz. I thought that was, uh, you know, a big in favor move. of Lewis Hamilton. Well, you can't argue with that. So that now that makes me even more of a fan of to see how Ferrari does. Um, but at the end of the day, the, the whole sport's exciting. Um, and I've never seen it. I've never seen it. So I'm very excited to go to Miami. Well, I've never seen an America's Cup race, uh, but you will be in the hospitality section as a as a host, um, which I, I can only imagine what that looks like in New Zealand come August. Yeah, well, in Barcelona, hosted by New Zealand. But oh, in- hosted by New Zealand in, in Barcelona, correct, yeah. yeah. To continue our Formula One analogy, I imagine, and I've never been there, that it's a lot like the Paddock Club. You know, it's it's the it's the, the high value tickets and you've got some people in there that you've probably only seen on TV. And my job is to entertain and educate them about what they're about to see, which is the America's Cup racing. And I can tell you from my previous experience covering the event, you, you do see the, the who's who of uh, of names that everyone watching would recognize. It's exciting. It's exciting to see who the America's Cup attracts and maybe it'll attract you. There's an open invitation for you to come to Barcelona and, and watch the America's Cup. If you do, look me up. I'll, I'll be sure to give you as much VIP access as you can give me to uh, F1 in Miami. <laughs> August 22nd in Barcelona until October 20th. The New York Yacht Club trying to dethrone the Royal New Zealand Yacht Squadron. He's our first sailor on cars and culture and uh, with a lot of culture. Let me tell you, Tucker Thompson, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks for sharing the story of the America's Cup for our audience. Thank you, Jason. It's my pleasure. Thanks again to my guest today on Cars and Culture, ESPN host, sailing expert and influencer, Tucker Thompson. To see my interview with him, go to the Cars and Culture YouTube channel, like and subscribe to see more than 135 interviews and more than 1,200 videos. I'm Jason Stein. We'll see you down the road.